The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Well, look at that. A brand new intro. A brand new intro. You know, there's a couple <laughs> interesting things about that. That that signifies something. That is the beginning of year three of this podcast. I can't believe that. I don't know if that. you thought about that. I know. I don't know if you thought about this, Paul, but I actually looked it up. July 21st is when we're recording this. July 21st, two years ago, happens to be the exact date our first podcast dropped on. Does it really? So here we are. I didn't realize two that. full years of podcasts. Now we've done. More than uh, I'm going to do math. Be be careful. Be careful. We've done more than 104 <laughs> podcasts because, as you probably noted, we went to twice a week. Podcast has changed a lot in those first two years. It's gotten twice as long as when we started. We're doing twice as many. I mean, clearly we can talk. But thank you guys for listening. And uh, we have more car debates tonight. We've got typical bit of news to discuss, and you guys have got Facebook questions. This is why the podcast has grown. Thank you for being with us, for rating, for sharing. Uh, it's, it's awesome. We do have some great car debates here. First of all is Scott from Canberra, the Australian capital territory in Australia. And hello to all of our Australian listeners. We are really happy to have you along for the ride. And he is a yeah. muscle car fan, big time. He even sent us a picture of his 1971 Chrysler Valiant VH, this two-door hardtop with a 5.9-liter mm -hmm. V8. Wow, a gorgeous car. This is really nice it's Very looking. cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very cool. He's got uh, kind of a conundrum and really wants to stay in the muscle car space, the muscle car arena mm -hmm. for what's next. And again, I think he's just wanting something different just because. And that's why we trade up. We're poking our heads up out of the sand going, huh, what yeah. else is out yeah, yeah. here? Interesting. Mm -hmm. And we've also got GK in Austin, Texas, who is uh, driving a lot of other people's cars, but most notably <laughs> driving cars often for business from rental car companies, specifically the one that he uses for his employer. He's driving a lot of different things, which has also made him poke his head up and go, all right, I think I'm missing out here. What's going on? These are some cool cars. I got to have something for me. So this mm -hmm. will be fun to debate. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And Austin's, Austin's actually one of the places in Texas that's got some great roads. I mean, it really has some excellent roads on it. And also, I, I, look, I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but, you know, Circuit of the Americas is, out, is outside Austin there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually are doing some sort of NASA, you can get in and have a get on a public track day thing at COTA. And I'm, talk, I'm talking about places to have in your backyard. Wow. But even without that, I mean, just going to some of the roads around in the hill country around Austin, I used to drive those roads a lot for some climbing locations, believe it or not. If I wanted to climb in Texas, I had to go to Austin and then go into a riverbed. That was pretty much how you, what you did. You mm. cut limestone cliffs in the, in the hill country. That's where you climbed. So, of course, that made a lot of hill country driving long before the show, of course. But there are some good roads out there, so it would be cool to talk about that a little bit as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, you had something you wanted to kick things off with uh, that was in the news. We like talking about well, Tesla, don't we? Well, of course. I mean, that's that's the other reason to bring it up. Anytime Tesla does anything, it makes the news like crazy. And, you know, you've, I'm sure you've heard by now Elon Musk has dropped his second master plan. Apparently a decade ago he did his master plan, and now it's the new master plan. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm picturing Dr. Evil. And I have nothing against Elon <laughs> Musk. But when you announce something as I'm about to drop my master plan, I'm sorry. I see a little pinky in the side of the side of the mouth and a bald head. That's what I think of. <laughs> so I just can, can we call it anything else? Can we just 
that's just that just says evil genius when you say you're going to release your master plan. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, in spite of that, it's a really interesting thing because, of course, his his prior one was Roadster to where we are now. It was Roadster to Model Three. Okay, Roadster as a niche, prove that it works, make the Model S to make money. Uh, make the Model X to make more money, and that all leads to the Model 3, which is the more affordable model. But there's a there's a uh, kind of a tactic shift in this master plan. Did you notice it? A little bit. There's also been a side announcement about the discontinuation of the valuation of cars. Exactly three years after those cars are becoming on the used market, and uh, kind of won't matter anymore. But but continue. I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. That's a whole well, separate issue. I mean. We we talked about Tesla off and on, and and for two reasons. Look, I mean, they, they make they make great cars, but at the same time, they are in the news constantly, whether you're a car guy or not. Yeah. So there's two interesting reasons to talk about it, and that, I mean, and like every car company, they're not perfect. There's things we like, there's things we don't, but they are impressive cars. Oh, in fact, it reminds me of a Tesla story that happened to me today. I didn't even tell you this. I got on an on-ramp in the FRS, which everyone is, will acknowledge is not a powerful car. But I get on an on-ramp with a purpose. You know, it was, it was a 90-degree left. I had a green light, 90-degree left onto the on-ramp. So I don't slow down much. I'm, I mean, we're entering a freeway. Let's do it quickly. But what was funny is it was one of those that starts two-lane and pinches to one. Mm-hmm. And I wound up uh, coming up the quarter panel of a guy in a Model S. And it was one of those moments where you got to decide, well, who goes first? And, of right. course— I'm in. I'm in an FRS. I'm. I'm in. I. I know that I'm going to lose this. I, no part of me thinks that I'm not going to lose this. Okay. The the Model S. He's got the big. You know. Yeah. I think he had the P85D. I'm going to lose. Okay. No part of me <laughs> doesn't think I'm going to lose. Most cars will lose. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But here's the funny part: is that you know I have that obnoxious orange car with nice wheels and a, and a loud exhaust. So, I think he thought. I was going to show him something because, of course, I put my foot in it. Not because I'm going to beat the Tesla, but because it's an on-ramp. We're accelerating. <laughs> I watched him look over at me and then punch it. And, of course, he punched it, and it was like freaking light speed. He was, he was, he was gone. Of course. Of course. And I know I, – I, I, it was like I could read his mind. Somewhere in his brain he was thinking, showed that guy. I'm thinking, no, you didn't. <laughs> no part of me thought that was going to go another way. Those cars are blindingly quick, and the FRS is not. But, sorry, I'm way off topic, <laughs> other than vaguely Tesla. But it was just uh, funny, because I, I did see the guy turn his head and look at me like, I'll show you. I'm thinking, show me. Anyway, moving on. Because when you punch um, it, you just make more noise. <laughs> Nothing exactly. else really I just happens. get louder. <laughs> I, just, I just say, notice me more. In case you have not seen the orange car with the bright wheels and the weird long-haired guy driving, just in case you missed all that, I can make more noise just to make myself more obnoxious. That's really what I'm doing. How old am I? Um, but uh, the Tesla thing is shifting also to, he's saying they're not going to build a cheaper car than the Model 3, but they're going to encourage car sharing, people renting their cars when they're parked. Right. And that'll be interesting to see what that does to prices. And there's, there's a side note there, discussion of fractional car ownership and all kinds of madness. And then he talks about kind of a hint at two things you and I have talked about. He mentioned shifting to more worried about the electronic and the charging infrastructure, which we've talked about before. And also, dun, 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 take a Model 3 chassis and build everything you can imagine, including pickups. 
I can't exactly talk about everything I've seen walking through the, the design studio there, but um, we'll just kind of... I know you of, can't, but you've seen more than most. Yeah, Pretty we'll, much uh, you and the people that work there, those are the people that have seen all this. Yep. <laughs> we'll just leave it right there, but uh, we have talked about this idea. I think it's a good one. I think it needs exploring. But, you know, on one hand, would it be bad if... Tesla comes out with no real plan. We're just kind of floating along and responding to the market. Well, at least he's got a master plan, and he's got some kind of vision, which is cool. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it goes all the way back to 06. Now, he's integrating Solar City with integrated solar roof with battery kinds of products. Um, you know, he's acquired Solar City. He used to sit on the board. And, you know, yeah. now yeah. looking into heavy-duty electric trucks and urban transport. I like the heavy-duty electric trucks part because mm -hmm. of the irony mm -hmm. of Tesla's delivered on on uh, semis currently. Well, yeah. But there, there is actually no – I like that irony too. But there's also – I feel like there's no better uh, market for an autonomous vehicle than a large, long-distance hauler. Right. And I don't say that for any truck drivers out there. I've known truck drivers. My grandfather was a truck driver, made a lot of money, had a whole business doing it. So, I mean, there's a long tradition there and a lot of very hard workers that transport more goods than most of us realize. So I, while I'm not trying to take away from that market or that business, at the same time, people don't realize how much stuff is just driven around in trucks. Oh, sure. And if yeah. those were both electric and autonomous, they were, they were road trains, for lack of a better way to put it, that were reliable – that actually, in many ways, makes a lot of sense. I think what I like the best about this master plan, quote-unquote, is how it's pushing the industry. Whether or not they can achieve it or they check all the boxes or he, mm -hmm. said he does everything he's going to say he does, maybe he's going to need to shift or pivot or do something different in response to some new thing coming down the road that none of us can see or envision right now. Okay, great. Yeah. You can adapt. But what he's doing is pushing every other car manufacturer who has been floating along and just doing the model refresh. Well, what should we do for the next, you know, whatever it is. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but you yeah. know what I'm saying. Model refresh. But now these car companies are forced to really start thinking long term and come up with their own vision. And they're coming up with excellent technology, too. It's kind of like he is kickstarting everybody into something. Whether it will be bad or well, the, the results are negative. May, or... Maybe. I mean, I, I'm very curious to see what happens when Porsche, BMW, and GM, because they're three of the probably major players, really get into the electric car market. What does that do to that market in general? And I think from a volume perspective, we talked about it ad nauseum already, but he's, he's smart to, to pivot his way to, uh, to electric uh, provision, instead of providing electric mm -hmm. uh, power instead of actually right. making electric cars. I think that'll be the icing thing. But at the same time, look, GM, Porsche, uh, Mercedes, you name it, it's not like they don't have 10-year plans. Certainly not. That's what, not what, what I'm saying. Why? No, I, but I'm I'm riffing again now. I'm going. Must we call it a master plan and tweet tease about it for a week and get the press ruffled? I, I you have a plan for your company. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so does everybody I, else. I, I, welcome to the, the <laughs> yes, yes. Welcome to the planning yes, committee. But, We're all here. Exactly. <laughs> welcome. But I mean, hey, he's but he has that Steve Jobs style figurehead 
and and you know big ideas guy and that's something that you aren't seeing we talked about this before as well you aren't seeing it in any other major company but come on don't call it a master plan because i'm picturing a bond villain and don't don't act like you're the only one that's walking into the place with a plan for your company i that's come on that's all more kind of smoke and mirrors look at me i've got a, i've got lasers and smoke machine in the back come on at least lasers attached to their heads anyway um Freaking lasers, man. Freaking yeah. lasers. No, I think that... I worked uh, on the Austin Powers movies. I can do that. Let, yeah, let you yeah, Stop. Okay. Yeah, you In, did. Moving on. Um, I think that because Tesla is really the only true electric car company on the planet, that every other car manufacturer has the infrastructure and is saddled with the weight of gasoline engines on them. Now, they're not going away, but because all these other companies are forced to deal with now two realities, it seems like Tesla can pardon the pun, zoom ahead in where technology is going. Because all these other manufacturers have, well, we've got Maybe. gasoline engines that we just have bread and butter kinds of sales. And so when, whenever they're in the news, it's always about the future tech and the next thing. And it seems mm -hmm. like they're a step ahead, even though you're right, all these other companies have plans just as far into the future as they do. But I, th mm -hmm. I feel like he's pushing them and pushing the technology rather than sort of resting on our laurels and we're just coming up with a new efficient gasoline engine. Well, we've had those for 50 years, you know, <laughs> yeah. at least yeah. let's, let's push. And I well, feel like and he's there, doing but that. But there's, there is, and I mean this as a genuine compliment, there is some <laughs> excellent showmanship in what happens with everything coming out of Tesla. That there's, there's just oh, a showmanship yeah. element about it. That, you know, that's the reason that, that there are so many Apple disciples out there is the same level of showmanship shown by Steve Jobs. So, I mean, when those, when those company leaders exist, they they uh, bolster that, and it's interesting to see it coming out of Tesla. We should probably do a car debate that's not about Tesla. Can we do that? We can. I just want to say that the best part of being behind a Tesla is when they step on it. You don't have to push the recirculate button on your air conditioner. There's <laughs> there's no exhaust in your face. It's it's kind of nice. They can zoom True. ahead, and you're fine. You can still breathe. Anyway, small benefit <laughs> for the rest of us. I suppose, ah. yeah. All right, yes, on to the debate. And as uh, we mentioned, Scott, writing from Canberra, he is in Australia. Wow, uh, thanks for writing. This is, uh, it's a lot of fun to debate cars and choose cars and learn about the industry that we're not always familiar with. Mm -hmm. He's telling us uh, of the cars that aren't available. We might, you know, be inclined to suggest one or the other. I even thought of Corvettes. It turns out recent news as of May 2016 Chevy is not bringing the Corvette to Australia as a right-hand drive model. So there's a lot of limitations. And the biggest thing that he's describing to us is the cars that people want there, the muscle cars, if they're not sold in the right-hand drive, you can't buy them. You, you have to either convert it or buy one as mm -hmm. a right-hand drive. You cannot register one as a left-hand drive in Australia. So you're either yeah. paying a lot of money to import the car and convert it, which may not have the best results, or you yeah. have, you're limited to the market there. And so that's what he's limited to and asking us, what should I do? He's getting out of something. He's looking around, but those and are I the, will the fully roadblocks. acknowledge this, this is, is wrought with potential landmines for us because we don't know that market well. I mean, I can dive into the internet and I can surmise some things, but I mean, you're living there and you bought a lot of cars already. I, you know, I'm a little cautious stepping in here because this is going to be easy to get wrong. Doesn't mean I'm not excited to get the email and kind of really excited. It's, it's one of those, you know, 
cul-de-sacs of the internet I never go into. Why would I shop for cars in Australia? Well, <laughs> now I am, which is cool. Internet. What's it is, in here? It it's it, it's, it's one way here? in. Why else, why else are you shopping for cars in Australia unless you're either A, moving or living in Australia, or B, you're, you're the, these two idiots that run this podcast. That's the reason you're shopping for cars in Australia. That's really the list. Uh, who lives over here? Huh. Okay, it's bye absolutely, now. It's, it's oh, a, it is. Funny. It's a cul-de-sac of the internet. There's no question. So that's anyway. Funny. But what's cool is you own a lot of American muscle kind of cars, but of course they're all Australian brands is what we're talking about, which is really the fun conundrum of this. So, I mean, cars that I've heard of, but none of which I've driven. I mean, you've got the, the Holden HZ, you've got the Holden Statesman, the, the Ford Falcon uh, XR6. I mean, these are cars I've heard of. I could maybe recognize them on a good day. <laughs> Haven't ever driven any of them, but I think it's awesome that you've owned a lot of that, for lack of a better way to put it, the Australian versions of the American muscle cars. You've kind of owned the list. That uh, original Holden Commodore, that got a lot of love from the media back in the 90s. If that, that was, was sort of hallowed ground. If you had Commodore, you had a Holden Commodore. And uh, yes, now as the Chevy SS. By the way, there's a uh, car club here in, uh, in Utah, in Park City, where we meet. And we just saw an owner who's got a Chevy SS who has completely mm-hmm. rebadged it and retrimmed it as a Holden. So there you mm-hmm. go. It it just I am, it works just the opposite over here. So people think I, oh, but I am, you can't I get a Holden such, here, you know? I'm of such mixed opinion about that idea. I just I don't understand you know, because we see it here, too, where people will take Infinity as a great example. They'll take an Infinity <laughs> right. and they'll rebadge it like it's a JDM car. Why? 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 I, that, that, that's, a, that's a corner of car culture that I don't get. Honestly, don't get it. Uh, but, but it is funny to see those, uh, those Holdens or, you know, Holdens here badged as Holdens. I had uh, one of the fans of the show, actually, uh, Brian, that lives in Dallas. He sent me a photo like two weeks ago, and it was just a photo of the Lion badge. And he said... What car is this? And I said, "Oh, you're driving behind a Chevy SS with rebadged as a Holden. Never heard of it before." And another guy I work with sent me a badge that was this weird swooping thing, and I didn't really know what it was at first, but I could see the the corner of the badging of the car name, and I said, "Oh, that's a Kia Optima with the probably with the domestic badge." And he looked it up, and it was the Korean style badge for oh, sure. the Optima. So, I mean, it happens on random cars, and I just I, okay, whatever. Scott updates us with some information here. First of all, he's asking, why do more American car companies not follow Ford's desire and success and sell their models in the right-hand drive markets? First of all, again, as you said, it goes all the way back to the 60s for Ford, and they've got the infrastructure there. And it's, it's a – I would say people would look at that market or look at cars coming in with a skeptical eye if it's not long established. I think they're willing – but somebody like Ford, who's got that long-established career and long-established sales in racing, racing is a huge one. Um, by the way, the V8 cars has come to the Circuit of the Americas. I'd love to go see that sometime. But mm, um, yeah. they go way back. So they've got this long history, which helps them tremendously. Chevy does too, of course. But it's a business decision as well. And unfortunately, these business analysts who – sit in the top tiers of the company, have to project sales based on mm-hmm. past numbers That's the biggest thing. and say, Absolutely. do we think we're going to sell product? Because, yeah, they want to mm-hmm. serve the enthusiasts like us, but ultimately it comes down to are we going to push the metal? Are we going to sell product? Yeah. And if they decide they can't, I disagree with some of them. Corvette, the Camaro, 
Uh, FCA, as uh, Scott says here, has delayed any decision on a right-hand drive challenger or charger until mm-hmm. the new platform comes, which is around 2019. So they're just, they've got just a handful of cars to choose from, which I hear you, it, it makes it frustrating. Um, it's, uh, but I, it's but a I tough have one. to say it, the, 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 it is business-based, because I had to say it, because the problem here is, look at the GTR and look at the FRS. I know those cars don't seem similar, but my point in both of them is neither one of them have sold that well. Now, we can sit back as enthusiasts and go, those are great cars, we like those cars, make us more Mm -hmm. of those cars. But there is a small group of people that actually have money in hand that when those cars drop, and again, I use those two cars because they're completely different, completely different in in everything, including price, but still there is a limited number of people that when those cars drop, go, I'm buying that right now. Because if you're not an enthusiast, you aren't even shopping in that market. So it's a tiny, tiny market. So when you have these enthusiast cars and and you're an automaker looking to ship it worldwide and, oh, wait, we got to make a right-hand drive version, all that kind of stuff, it starts to kill your potential profits, your, your cost-to-pain to ratio, if you will, pretty quickly because if you're talking about what do we really think the enthusiast numbers are going to be, I mean, I'm incredibly impressed that Ford has dropped the Mustang in the U.K. with right-hand drive. I'm mm-hmm. kind of shocked they've done that. Mm-hmm. But clearly they made the numbers work. But that talk about a niche market because now you're talking about enthusiasts that want to drive a Mustang in England. <laughs> wow, that is that is a specific market. But, yeah, they'll go to Australia as well, of course. But they clearly had to make those numbers work. And for a lot of these enthusiast cars that we love, it's hard to make the numbers work. Even domestically it is. It seems like the grand exception is BMW. Talk about niche within niche within niche. I mean, they are just, who cares yeah. if the numbers don't work? We've got to offer this X4M. <laughs> now with more power than midsize, people. midsize, super midsize. It holds three exactly. and a half people and a midsize dog. There is three a market. Three and a half people. <laughs> I, I don't yes. know what a half comes from. And, and, it's, and it's, going, it's going to be, it's going to be the, uh, the BMW 2 Coupe, which they are talking about making. Oh, because what? Because why? That, honestly, somebody answer that to me. But anyway. Maybe they don't I, have I, business yeah. analysts. Maybe that's the difference. They don't hire any of those people. And so they think, ha, ah, look at this sketch. We should build that. Yeah. <laughs> look at look at this sketch. You're not busy. Sketch something real quick. That's terrible. Uh, no, there's very talented designers at BMW. I know them. I uh, went to school with them. In, back pedal, back pedal, uh, back pedal. Slight defense there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it just seems like um, for every cool car they come up with, they come up with something just like the X6. Why on earth does that car exist? Side note, I've gotten us way sidetracked from Australia, but you have. That's fine. It's wheeling fine. back. So I actually yeah, trying, trying desperately to come back around to Scott and his Australia conundrum. Uh, it you've owned an interesting list of cars here, and what's un, what's unfortunate is you're kind of listing either all the cars we'd recommend or all the cars that are already in Australia that you could probably buy. You've kind of listed all of them. You've talked about I could get another Ford Fal- Falcon. You've talked about you could get the Commodore SS, our Chevy SS. You could buy one. Um, the new Ford Mustang, you really are intrigued by, and I think you should be intrigued by it. Your problem is they've just started dropping there, and as a result, they're 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 doing the price markup thing, and there's not any really on the used market, so you have to wait a little bit on that. Uh, and then Curveball, there is a Chrysler 300 SRT 392 available in Australia. 
There's no challenger of that model, mm -hmm. and there's no charger, it sounds like, but the Chrysler 300 shows up randomly in SRT 392 form, and you're going, huh, that's cool, because the car you want, you've acknowledged, is our Dodge Challenger SRT. That 392 is what you really want. You'd have to buy it. You'd have to convert it. It would be double the money by the time you did that. So you're debating the Chrysler 300 instead. You're asking, what do we do? What do I do? I have two, three that I've thought of here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I'll be honest. This is like, this is like wild card world here for Scott. I'm not. I don't feel like I can be definitive, Scott, because I don't know enough about the market. But I want to throw some ideas at you anyway. Well, good news is we are talking to an enthusiast who has driven more than just muscle. He has owned a 1989 yeah. Nissan R32 Skyline. I mean, mm -hmm. talk about a coveted car. And he had the 1990 mm -hmm. Holden Commodore SS sedan. I mean, that was the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got, uh, I believe we've got somebody who's open. Even though he's got the 71 mm -hmm. Chrysler Valiant and he's muscle car mad, I think he's open and I think he'd be willing to listen. Now, I had brought up BMW because I thought of the 2 Series. I know that's sold there. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, perusing their website. Um, the thing that we're dealing with here is a $36,000 budget U.S. dollars, which is around 50000 Aussie dollars. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why I thought I'd love to get you in an M3. It's sort of BMW does a muscle car. I, uh, I feel like the 2 Series would be more nimble. It wouldn't be the large size that you're looking for. But I think you would appreciate the dynamics of that car. And it might be, you know, maybe just an interesting benchmark for now. I believe you could get mm -hmm. into one for that price. Maybe an M235i, and we keep coming back to that car often. We but, do. Uh, right. I mean, ultimately, that Mustang, if you can pop for one, Scott, if you can get into that car, you're already a Ford customer. See what you can get for your current Ford Falcon. And, yeah, go drive the Mustang. And that means any engine con configuration that they would offer. Of course, the GT, you're a muscle car guy. I know you're going to want the V8, but <laughs> don't discount that turbo. I mean, they've, they've brought this world car engine. They've, they've brought the noise, and it's not bad. I mean, I, I'm not trying to damn a faint praise over here. It's, <laughs> I, I'm really not. That sounds worse than I mean it to be, honestly. It's great. We liked that car. It's got power. Stand on it, keep it above 5,000 RPM, and car comes to life. It really does. But if you can't just yeah. deal with the, you know, the thought of having the four-cylinder turbo, on the other hand, I mean, that's, the that's GT the is too much money. You know? I, I'm that's the, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to, to broaden him. I get that. I think the thing of the, about muscle cars that I think speaks to Scott, the impression that I get based on stuff he's owned, is I think it's, it's power and attitude. Because sure. the Skyline is, is, it still falls in that category. It, and actually, one of my recommendations for you, Scott, is get a newer Skyline. Because you guys have got a litany of Skylines over there, a possible. And with your budget, you could get yourself a different Skyline, a newer Skyline, possibly more powerful. That is a genuine option, I feel like, for you. Because it has the muscle car feel, and yet it has a little more agility, a slightly different flavor. And you have owned one at one point. So I kind of wonder about looking for a new one of those. I've got a couple other ideas. But my biggest thought here for you, Scott, is shop 
I, I looked. I looked a little bit. But shop about all the stuff that's already there. Take your money and run around and go, what American stuff has been brought here, already converted, and is waiting on me? Now, I will acknowledge a lot of the stuff I found that was really cool was seventy to 100,000 uh, Australian. So it's out of your price point. But at your 50,000, there actually were options. And I'm going I'm to say to you, Camaros and Corvettes, two things you haven't owned. They are over there, all kind of prices, all kind of years. And it's not what you would think. It's not just, oh, the older ones are all the cheaper ones. and the, Not necessarily. I, I found a really interesting mix, uh, C4, C5, C6s over there. Now, I will acknowledge most of the, most of the C6s are around 100 grand, but there was a range of stuff in C5s. I, this is not cutting-edge Corvette technology, obviously, but you haven't owned one. And in, in some ways, the Corvette is like the muscle car that you graduate to. I, I hate to say it, but a lot, of, a lot of guys that owned muscle cars, that's why a lot of old guys in the U.S. drive Corvettes, a lot of guys that own muscle cars <laughs> have owned a lot of different muscle cars and have eventually wound up in the Corvette when they're older. I, yeah, and that's too bad because there. it's a great car. But it's like, it's, like the, it's like the halo muscle car for a lot of guys. It is a different animal. It's much more sports car. But I think it would be a, a new experience for you. That's one to recommend is the Corvette. The other one's the Skyline. And then my random one is you want the Challenger, two-door V8. You already touched on the, I think you could go E90, E92 series uh, M3 and look at that because it's in that same category. But why aren't we talking about the Monaro? They made a million yeah. variations of the Monaro there. We're talking two-door, big muscle car size, big V8. There's tons of them available at your budget, and you haven't owned one. I'm just I'm wondering about the Monaro. Hmm. I can yeah. I had noted the C7 Corvette was not coming. Uh, Chevrolet had had said that that was not coming in the right-hand drive. But I like where you went with the prior generations. I think the C7 would have been even too expensive, even if it was yeah. available. Well, and and they are so expensive because they've been brought over there and converted in most cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the problem with a lot of these muscle cars. You yeah. can get anything you can imagine, but you're buying the used ones that have already taken the hit of i shipped it i converted it i registered it now you can buy it from me hmm. and the monaro interesting idea yeah that's uh what was that gto here in the states they uh took mm -hmm. that car over yeah and, and uh they're like ten thousand us with low miles on them over here from oh three there's tons of them oh four somewhere in that range. uh most of the ones i've seen are oh four oh five or most okay. of the ones i'm seeing okay. i don't know if they carried it over i genuinely don't know if they carried over longer over there but you know that that it's, it's a fun car. It's a good car, uh, and you haven't owned one. And I feel like it's it's in the vein of that Challenger. It's not, but it's in the vein of that Challenger. Um, and you do have options where you are too. Certainly for that car, yeah. Well, uh, I hope that helps, Scott. Um, my BMW suggestion is a bit out there, but maybe you could find an M3. That that's kind of out there. Something a little bit different, different flavor. You but, know. You uh, know what else. You know what else you should at least look at, Scott? And I, I will acknowledge this. I have not looked into what your options are, but, I, but I'm sure they exist there. AMGs. Because let's be honest, that is the muscle car of Germany. I mean, it's the ridiculous attitude engine shoved into a Mercedes chassis. It is. What AMGs exist in, in Australia? And, and I'm saying that out of ignorance. What, which ones are there? Because if you could find one of those in your budget, I mean, even the... The C63 uh, AMG, the last gen that competed with the E92 BMW. Oh, oh. It it was very fun, 
it, it had so much trouble keeping its ass in line. It's just got so much power and attitude. It just doesn't really want to go in a straight line uh, around, uh, you know, it doesn't want to stick to the racing line on the corner. It just kind of wants to stick the back out. So, you know, that can be crazy fun. It does have that muscle car demeanor. A lot of those AMGs are surprisingly muscle car-like in attitude in that Mercedes wrapper. Again, I'm acknowledging my ignorance. Don't know what's there, but that's an option too. Chevy of Germany. I mean, not in terms of build quality, Stop. but attitude. Stop. It's all about the attitude. You always it? tomatoes are always being thrown at you every time you say that. I but know. I, I understand what you mean. But that's 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 a weird uh, place know. to go because what's interesting when you say that is the Chevy guys are offended just as much as the Mercedes guys. <laughs> that's true. This that's is what true. happens. I didn't You've think of the other way around. You've offended unilaterally when you say that. That's what's fantastic. We're an equal opportunity offense here at the car, uh, car debate. We really are, yeah. I am really here for, to solve world peace. That's our, our entire mission is, is uh, politics, of course. That's what we always delve yes. into. Yes. No, uh, next, next week's going to be all politics and religion. It's going to be an awesome, awesome episode. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Great. Nobody will tune in. Uh, awesome. Uh-huh. All right. We'll keep going here to GK in Austin, Texas. He wrote in actually the same day Scott did. And uh, he just discovered the podcast, so thank you for listening. Hope you've discovered the videos as well. And has mm-hmm. a laundry list of stuff. Remember, GK is the person who has been driving a lot of cars through the rental agency. So he's renting cars like crazy, mm-hmm. which include 528Is, Mercedes C300s, BMW X1 and X3, 328s, Mercedes GLA, mm-hmm. Audis. Tons of stuff. I bet you, I bet you, GK, you're the person that <laughs> the rental car agencies love to see coming because they've assigned you a car, and then the Porsche came and sitting up on the stand, or the Corvette, or the Mustang, or whatever it yeah. is. You go, yeah, yeah. Hey, what's this over here? Tell me about this. And it's they it's love the prestige that. collection. Wouldn't you like to upgrade to? Yes, I would. Yes, <laughs> yes, I would. If you're GK, <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. What are you suggesting today? Sure, I'll upgrade. And uh, what else? He's driven his coworker's GT350. Good on you. Another yeah. Corvette Z06. Fantastic. A Q5. Somebody ran him in a Porsche Boxster, a McCann, his M3. And now he's going, <clears throat> all right, I feel like I've <laughs> armed myself with choice. And now he's wondering, should I lease or buy? Yeah. But clearly you're leaning towards Mercedes and BMW from both of the suggestions that you've given us here, GK. Mm-hmm. You're you're definitely in the German car camp. Welcome to it. I am uh, first at the door. I'm like the greeter at Walmart. I will welcome you. You are the you are the greeter to the pool of Porsche. That is very true. That is that me. is that is incredibly true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? Um, so he's got a few requirements here. Um, he has got. Let's see. Putting around town, long trips to visit yeah. the parents back home. And his family, so his wife and baby, enough space in the back to carry all the plastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what are you thinking here? Uh, oh, by the way, lease budget well, is fifty thousand U.S. Or if he buys, he can pay cash for thirty. So, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's lots of options. I mean, here, here's here's the thing. I want I want to speak to a couple of things he's mentioned. Uh, he said he really liked the Macan. Uh, he was intrigued by the boxer. Look, I have to go into the pool of Porsche and at least talk about it. He he makes the comment where he says, but he's really having trouble actually taking a Porsche seriously because of the maintenance cost. I have to say to you, look, that is a common reality, and uh, a lot of us think that way, myself included. But if you watch our long terms on the Cayenne, it's just 
been a car. I mean, granted, we have 80,000 miles. We don't have 180,000 miles. We have 80,000 miles. It should just run, and guess what? It does. So I, I think there is a level of, of terror that is involved with Porsche ownership that may be unwarranted here. I mean, if you're buying a, why does this uh, two-year-old Porsche have 250,000 miles? Okay, be a little careful. <laughs> but, um, but, but in general, you know, I don't, I don't think that is a reason to not consider them. Uh, you know, you get a really high mileage German car, brace yourself. But even some of the high mileage German car owners that I've known, their Porsches ran better than their other German cars. Mm-hmm. All of them could keep running if you keep throwing money at them, and that's true of any car, let's be honest. But I wouldn't leave the Porsche brand, if that really interests you, I wouldn't leave it just because you're worried about maintenance cost. It's expensive at the intervals, but you can do independent. I mean, watch our Cayenne piece and debate that. Uh, so I think that's got to be mentioned. Uh, you want something fun. You want to drive it around Austin. You have been ignited with car love. And your current car, we haven't mentioned yet, you have a Prius. You have a Prius. Yeah. And it's fine. Kind of left and you know that what? information You're, out. But, but, but this is the key thing. GK's whole point is it's fine for everything it has to do in life. And he couldn't be more right. You need to commute. You need to drive over there and get groceries. That's all you need it for? Fine. Perfect. It is, it is the definition of a fine automobile. We don't yeah. really want you in that. We don't really <laughs> want you in that. But look, yes, I, I, I get it. We've driven them. Great gas mileage. They run. Blah. It's just, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's bland on wheels, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. Okay? I get it. So you will keep the, the Prius. Uh, so there's a discussion about what are we adding. And that, you know, that works fine. Um, you like the C300. We actually really like the C300. I think you should seriously consider that. I do think that's a front runner for you. Uh, I would get, if it were me, I would get the C300 over the base 3 Series. I like the 3 Series. Yeah. If, if you put stuff on it and you get the nice sport packs and this kind of thing, that 3 Series now, A, is a lot more expensive, and B, starts to be a lot more interesting. The base 3 Series is not compelling enough. The C300 is actually pretty cool. That new C-Class we have tracked and came away pretty darn impressed. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not hearing throughout the email threads of, I really want some, you know, track kind of stuff or autocross. No. He did mention the, that Austin will, you know, is kind of the place for some little bit of twisties here. Um, Yeah. Which, uh, as I'm alluding to, the C-Class and the BMW will both excel but I guess I'm just sort of leaning towards Mercedes for GK. I'm just I'm mm-hmm. hearing that, just trying to read between the lines here, and it's got to be satisfying to your wife and you know family needs and that kind of thing. Not the BMWs aren't, but it just feels like the new Mercedes. It really does feel like luxury at any price point, whereas the BMWs mm-hmm. feel very focused. And even at 50000 you think, wow, well, this could be more luxurious and a little bit nicer. But whatever, the driving experience is great. Not so with Mercedes. You feel like at any price point, even at the entry-level CLA, you're kind of going, huh, this is quite lovely. This is a nice place to yeah, be. I mean, we had that CLA that cost like thirty six grand. the one we reviewed on the show. Mm-hmm. And it was there were a few things about it. It was like, oh, look, you've saved money there. But by and large, sure. it was a pretty cool car. I do, I do agree with that. I agree with that. But I, you know, I, I can't, I can't back the base three series. I just, I don't think they're interesting enough. I think there are uh, cars in the BMW lineup. Here's the thing: I would take the base two series all day long over the base three because it's just a much more interesting chassis. Right. The base three 
just it doesn't have enough to wake it up yet. You, you've got to throw more power at it. You've got to throw the sports suspension at it. Now it starts to be like, oh, I see where we're going. The base three <laughs> got to throw is, an M three badge at it, really. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, if you've got that kind of money. But but I, I'm going to say something. You had tomatoes thrown at you earlier, and now I'm bracing myself. All the right. base three series is the is the BMW badged Camry. It is. It's just Ooh. it's transportation with a prestige badge Ooh. on the nose. I'm and That's... I'm talking the base one. Some of you, one of you out there going, I've got the M Sport Pack, whatever. Fine. I'm talking about the people that go out and buy, I just barely afforded a 3 Series. Not that great a car. I, honestly, it's not. But So I think the C300 is interesting. You've asked a question here, though, GK, where you've said, you know, should you do the C450 over the C300? You're asking the wrong guys. Because honestly, we're going to tell you, get the most high-performance version you can afford. So the question <laughs> is, should I get the more high-performance version? Our answer is... Yes, sir. Yes, you should. So I, because the more bells and whistles you get, and the more, and we would say, don't figure out the extra heated and cooled massage seat. That fine. We're going to focus on performance of it. That may not be how you're shopping, but generally, if the cars that are spec'd for better performance are just they're just more engaging to drive. So if you're going to ask us which one to go with, we're going to lean you that way. You might not be able to afford it. I say because you are venturing into to German cars for the first time lease just go find something you like lease it don't have to worry about maintenance keep it a couple years reassess have i liked this i talked last week about a friend of mine who just got a three series two years ago jumping out of an old american iron terrible car into a three series just traded that lease in for a brand new a4 he's just trying stuff out and he Hmm. can afford to Hmm. i think that's what you should do i think it's a lease figure out what you can lease of these german brands take the pressure off yourself for maintenance and go I even had looked at the new E-Class, which also impresses me, but at that point, you're only getting a four-cylinder turbo with 241 horsepower. You could mm-hmm. go lease the C450 with gobs more power, and I think yeah. I think that's the way to go, personally. Mm-hmm. I had thought of Lexus, and I kind of sniffed around Good. that. Yep. But then, I made a note of that as well. Yep. You know, GK keeps coming back to, he, he even likes Panameras, which I say, good on you, but for a lease budget of around 50000 there's no way, not for a new. And you one. can't, and you can't buy one at thirty yet either. No. So, so it's out. No. It's fully out. I agree. So that that way, I thought Lexus, and I thought GS, I thought IS, 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 yes, IS is on my list. Yeah, but it still feels in the category of what a BMW does in terms of what you get as interior components and quality. It's good, but the focus is on the chassis and the driving experience in the IS. Whereas when I don't you know that I step agree. up more, it, it doesn't it doesn't have the the glitz of the Mercedes interior. I will agree with you there. Granted, I'm a guy that I kind of like the more staid interiors of the two of us. I definitely am that guy, but I actually think that the IS has got a surprisingly cool interior, even though it is very minimalist. I think it's a very cool interior in spite of that. But keep going. It it yeah, I, I see your point. It just feels like when you step to the Mercedes, you feel like wow. I am driving a luxury automobile, and you feel like yeah. you're getting your money's worth. The Lexus is almost yeah. the same price, and you're going, really? It's kind of feels like a Japanese car over here. I, I was kind of unimpressed with some of the button choices, and it's just blank, flat plastic, no texture on the plastics. I'm going, okay, all right, for this kind of money, we could have stepped it up a little bit. It's got... It's got some LFA in it, and I like that. I think that that general uh, interior direction was cool. I'm glad they put in some of their cars. But I I see where you're going. I mean, in that same category, you have to at least 
uh, actually drive the Lexus IS, uh, and you also need to drive the Cadillac ATS. You need to go drive them. They might be for you, but if you're looking at this area and you're benchmarking things, please go drive those cars so you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've talked about the ATS up one side and down the other. In in sheer agility, it it just wins. Congratulations, winner. Done. (laughs) But you have styling that some people don't like. It's totally love or hate it styling. We both like the exterior styling, but I totally know it's polarizing. The interior is... Yeah, it's harder to get to get excited about. It really is. So, but you need to drive it because those two cars are worth it. <laughs> Interior is hard to get excited about. That is uh, <laughs> that is damning with faint praise. I feel like. Well, um, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm a guy that look. I drive again. I, I drive an FRS. I like the Lotus Elise. I have a sure. last-generation Cayenne that wows me with its interior quality. I am not a guy that is looking for an interior to completely bowl me over. That's not the number one thing I'm looking for. So it just depends on the buyer that you are, and I, I, I understand that. It's just who I am. I am the guy that pushes on the dash. I, I want to know, what is this you, material? You are that guy. You, you are that guy. You'll, you'll, you'll open a door during, during a shoot. You'll open a door and look at me, and, and you'll, you'll have your, your fingers of your other hand on some piece of plastic, and you'll be pushing on it as you say, have you felt this? <laughs> that happens almost every week. Have you, have, you, have you seen this piece of plastic that they put here? And at, at almost nine times out of ten, I'm like, no. I was driving the car. Where, where did you park and just push on pieces of the interior? But you do that. You I, do. I touch everything. I like to know what this thing is built and made out of. I, I want to know. Is it know. honest materials? Are that they is fake? Helpful. Is it chrome-plated plastic? Is it real aluminum? Is it real stitching or is it molded in? I touch everything. I want to know. Where did they save the money? I know. Where did the money go? I know. I'm that guy. And they did. Yes. Yep. I know you are. I know you are. It's always revealing. Okay. Well, we've, <laughs> we've, beat, we've beat that to death. Let us, let us know do. where you wind up, though, GK. I'm, I'm curious to know where you wind up. We should move on to Facebook questions. And I, I want to mention something real quickly. Uh, we have an Instagram account. We have a Facebook account. We have a uh, – what's that other one I'm forgetting? Twitter. That's right. Twitter's on there, too. Uh, as we hit a 1,000 interval on any of those, we will be giving away stuff. So if you're signed up for one and not the others, hey – Go help us get uh, higher on Facebook. Go help us get higher on Instagram. If you're one of those lucky 1,000 rollover people for any of those, we'll give you some free stuff. So we're doing that on all of those platforms. Chance is running a great, great job on the Instagram. He's putting up some really cool photos. He tries to relate them to the podcast or our latest interviews, uh, reviews or whatever. We just dropped our uh, Ford Mustang track piece. So if you haven't watched that, we'd love for you to pass that along. That was really actually a very fun day. And uh, do rate the podcast wherever you're listening. By free stuff, Todd means that we're getting rid of all the white elephant gifts out of our garages. So, exactly. Yes. Just kidding. Yes. It will be would you, would you worthwhile. Like, T-shirts. Like, you my my used brake pads off the FRS. They're coming at you. No, that's not. That's not what's happening. It's not what we're doing. Here's some toxic doing. chemicals. I don't know what to do with, but I don't want to pour down the drain. I know. <laughs> FedEx can move those to your door. Your address. Terrible. Not what no. we're talking about. Solve the problem. Oh, you mean he's fired? No, we fixed the glitch. Anyway, sorry. If you can Excellent. Name that movie, I love please, that quote. We're off into office us. space. We're off into office space. It's good, go. and, and, and you really can't go wrong there. Uh, so we, you get bombarded us with Facebook questions again. Thank you. Uh, I've got four. I noted. How many did you grab? Ooh, one, two, three, four, five. The fifth one is quick, and the sixth. Six is also kind of quick, too, but we'll go fast. Wow, buckle up. All right, we'll get a lot. We'll, we'll a go lot. fast. So throw uh, one out. Starting with Chris Sun asks, have either of us been in a vehicle that has hit an animal? And if so, what was the animal? And how much damage did it cause? 
Uh, Chris, I am fortunate. I consider myself fortunate to not ever have hit a, an animal while I've been driving in Utah. There's a lot of deer, and that's a actually lot. very common. And unfortunately, there's been some very nasty accidents and fatalities just from deer. It's a mm -hmm. bummer. Uh, I have been driving with my family in Alaska, and moose are a very, very big deal. They will take out an F-350 like mm -hmm. you wouldn't believe. I mean, 2,000 pounds walking around on little toothpicks, and that'll come right through the truck. And I've seen it. Yeah. I've Yeah, I've seen wheels come off pickup trucks and just kind of roll down the highway, but... Fortunately, up to this point, I uh, hope to never, but, uh, but no, I'm, I consider myself fortunate to not have hit an animal. We see a lot of long-haul truckers on, uh, on I-80 here in Park City, and uh, you know, the long-haul truckers, truckers will be doing uh, uh, a lot of their transit in the middle of the night, which in the spring and the fall is when the moose start wandering across the road here in Utah, mm -hmm. and we see moose and elk and that kind of stuff. You'll, I'll see them in the morning when I'm out doing stuff. You can tell it's been hit overnight. It's always really horrifying. The thought of hitting that with a normal vehicle, I mean, I can't imagine what it does to the 18-wheeler, let alone what it does to a normal vehicle. No, yeah. But I actually have a almost funny story about this, though, Chris. Uh, I haven't ever hit anything of size. I did do a late-night drive. Actually, two funny stories. Both happened here in Utah. I did a late-night drive here uh, right around midnight uh, in, a, in my FRS a while back. I was going up a great, great road. No, actually, this was in the 92X. I take it back. It was in the 92X. Oh, really? Went okay. up a great road, came around a corner when I, when I decided, okay, that's enough. I had one of those moments where I was just frustrated. I need to get out, and I went on a drive. Uh, but it was about midnight, and I pulled off into a turnout, a big turnout that I knew about, to turn around. And as I pulled into the turnout, I pulled into the middle of a herd of elk. There was like 12 Ugh. elk that were standing in the turnout. Like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you pulling here? We're not even on the road. It's like, it, all of a sudden, they were in my headlights. Didn't hit anybody, but, but they were as surprised as I was that I was using that turnout. And then the way down from that drive, I came around a corner, hugging the inside line, and all of a sudden, out of the darkness, walking on the white shoulder line, like on the white shoulder line, was a basketball-sized porcupine. Oh, Quills pointed at me. I saw him in just enough time because I was on that line. I mean, he was he was essentially being an apex cone with with quills. That's essentially what he was doing with his evening. <laughs> that would have made so, noise. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. So I I luckily nobody else is on this road. Luckily, I was able to dart away from him and go wide all of a sudden and get around him. But I'm so glad I saw him because I had that moment where my brain registered there's something in the road, and then it was a couple beats later that my brain went, "There's a porcupine in the road." It wasn't the initial reaction was just what is that followed by wait that was a large basketball with quills but the one animal I did hit was on the Vanderhall Laguna shoot Oh really that three wheel car I think I, I think I told you this Did you that three wheel car I came hammering up toward one of our camera positions for one of our drive bys and a, a squirrel came running out in front of oh, the car. No. Oh, and yeah. Normally, right. <laughs> most most squirrels are most squirrels are actually smart about this. They will run out in front of a car and they will stop and hunker because the wheels will go on either side. <laughs> <clears throat> three wheel car, three wheel car. The back wheel on that Vanderhall Laguna is about thirteen inches wide. That poor smart squirrel thought that he had he had outsmarted me by stopping between the two front wheels and promptly got flattened. <laughs> by the dinner plate sized back wheel. Because when I came back for another pass, he was done. I had nailed him with that rear wheel. So oh, I'm sorry, funny. squirrel. Three wheel car, you had no way to know. <laughs> RIP. That's too. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. You did tell me and I forgot. But I'll tell you, the Australians have got it figured out with those 
huge kangaroo strainer bars in the front of the road trains. I mean, it just goes through kangaroo, like mashed potatoes. Kangaroo like, strainer is the name of an Australian metal band. You know. <laughs> That's just somebody do that, please. It's just Kangaroo That's, Strainer is a fantastic band name. That's awesome. Like mashed potatoes, you know those potato mashers at Thanksgiving? Uh-huh. You mash it up your potatoes. And All bad. All bad. Right through. Anyway, um, yikes. Onwards. What else do you have on your list? Well, uh, Chris has written a couple times and asked this question. Chris Limbert uh, has, has asked uh, about a comparison of minivans. And he's asking this, honestly, Chris, you're asking this from a serious place. You're saying, look, it is helpful. There are those of us that shop for them. Would you guys please do a big comparison of minivans? Uh, and then you make the comment where you say, you know, there's a large segment that would watch it, and it might bring new viewers to the channel. I have two divergent thoughts here, Chris. One, uh, no, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't bring anybody to the channel because really, from a YouTube perspective, nobody really wants to watch that. We struggle enough with, with uh, cars that enthusiasts are seeking out. Having said that, I would do it for TV. I would do a comparo for television of minivans, and I would talk about minivans and talk about them in comparison to other options. I've always wanted to do that comparo. The problem is it's never going to make its money back on YouTube. <laughs> if it was a funded thing for a TV episode, absolutely I'd do it because I think there is an interesting discussion point there. Watch our Honda Odyssey review. It's both we're talking about it's useful and we're also kind of tongue-in-cheek making fun of it. That, to me, is the right tone of a minivan piece, but just from our budget and uh, <laughs> benefits... <laughs> of the, what it takes for us to do a 20 to 30 minute piece. Doing that on minivans, it just doesn't make any sense for us for YouTube. But maybe for television. Yeah, I'm with you. Without trying to allude to too much more there, we'll keep moving on to the next question. And that is from John Anthony. Asks both of us, what are our top two or three favorite cars we've driven for the show? So this obviously mm. does only include the ones we've driven, the press cars or privately owned cars that we've driven yeah. for the show. Yeah. And I think that, that means anything, and that uh, that means for the films and for YouTube. So keep that in mind. Yeah. John. Well, I mean, I, this, is, this is hard because I mean, we, we actually well, have done a top five. We should do it on all of our – we should do yeah. it every year on our FAQ. We should talk about f- top five we've driven that year. Um, I could go far more than three. But I would say watch our old FAQs because we've done that a few times. But we can talk about a few of them here. What do you have? Well, the 911 GT3 is pretty darn near the top of my list, and that is uh, on on track at the Nurburgring. That was a huge favorite, i got to be honest. But the Alpha 4C is up there, too. That car mm. made mm. me feel like a rock star driving it. You just Even though the price point is not an exotic price point, it makes yeah. you feel like you're driving one, and it makes you feel like you're driving something completely different. And people looked at you. And so I did admit, I admit, I kind of yeah. enjoyed that part of it. People wanted to know what kind of person drives this crazy thing. And the Alpha 4C is up there for me. That's That was just the whole experience was a favorite. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, I actually have to have to go Porsche as well, but I can't go with you to the GT3 at Nürburgring. Look, that was awesome. But the GT3 RS 4.0 
that we drove for our 911 film. Yeah, also good. That car not only was incredibly good, but it just felt special. It felt there there, there were a lot of special things about that car. So I have to put that up there. I would love to have driven that car more. Granted, they're worth about a half million dollars, so the chances of that are slim. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was a, that was an incredible car to drive, and it was one of those cars. I mean, I'm not even I'm not the Porsche guy, and I'm not really a 911 guy. But that there was a there was an awareness in that car that it was a special event, and we still drove it. Very quickly, and it was incredibly fun. So that's up there. Um, man, there's. Uh, here's the thing. I almost want to have a. a I, I almost kind of want to know what price point are we talking about? Because you know, honestly, the Fiesta ST is way up there. The FRS sure. BRZ are way sure. up there. Sure, for the driving you know, those are great. and the experience. The, sure. You know, those they're incredibly fun cars to drive. Are they? Are they tops of all time? I, I don't know, but at the same time, any time I get a chance to drive Fiesta ST, I will, and I own an FRS. Okay, so yeah. I mean, where are we going? But I would say the Lotus cars we've driven have to be up there for me. I love the Elise and I love the Evora. Those cars are genuinely special. They're in a niche in the market that isn't being served by anybody else. And you can climb out of a Porsche into a Lotus. There's a difference there. Oh, you can climb huge. out of lots yeah. of cars into a Lotus. And it's, I mean, I, I've done, I, did, I happened to do the C6 uh, Grand Sport on track, followed by the Lotus Evora S originally. The, the change there was stark. Oh, and sure. really oh, yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's something about that Lotus brand I have to speak on for sure. That Lotus Evora S is pretty special. I will say that. That is quite a car, and it's just giggly fun because it, it's telepathic. It just – the road speaks to you in new ways. And when a car does that for you <laughs> and the road tells yeah, you yeah, new yeah. things, the, the same section of road is now telling you new information just by virtue of the different car you're driving, that's mm-hmm, special. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah the Lotus I, yeah, is up there. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, Greg wrote to us. Greg Scandalberry wrote a couple of questions, but I, I picked this one, Greg. Uh, you said, what driving activity, and you listed karting, autocross, and canyon runs, would provide the best uh, baseline or fundamental skills that you can kind of build yourself to be a better, better driver? Um, hmm. I have thoughts on all three of those ideas. Look, I'm going I'm to add the fourth, and that is go do a track day. Do a track day in a car at, you know, with an instructor because that is, that's really what you're needing. That, that is going to be something because it's going to be outside information that educates you so much on your own driving style and what a car can do that you don't realize. That has to be in there somewhere. The three you've listed, I want to talk on them briefly. I know every good racer on the planet, you're going to start listing them when I say this, started in karting. True. It, uh, unless you're starting it to be in a race line, I don't think karting is the place to jump as a driver of a normal car to learn better car control because there are things about the dynamics of a car, a cart, that don't really relate. They relate in the like lineup of working your way through race cars, sure, but just the fact that you've got right foot on the gas and left foot on the brake the whole time and you do a lot of dual gas and brake, these are not features you're really going to be using much in your street car. I would say autocross to you because it's got a margin of safety that a real track does and at low speeds you can realize the limits of your car. I'm going to go with you on the track day, and that is a high-performance driving event where you've got an instructor evaluating you. It's kind of like somebody filming your golf swing. They're sitting there looking at you. They're evaluating how you drive, Mm -hmm. and most importantly, they're looking where your eyes are. A lot of instructors that Todd and I have had ride with us will tell us, well, because your eyes are looking here, you're doing this. If your eyes are further up the track, your hands smooth out, and you're going to be faster as a result without even sure. knowing that. 
And so it's little things that an instructor will do for you. And that is gold. That is so valuable. We now refer to certain Agreed. corners Agreed. on certain tracks by virtue of the instructor who taught us how to do that corner You're correctly. Right. We have You're one right. corner called yeah. the Ian corner. When I say Ian corner, Todd knows exactly what I mean. Treat that corner yeah. the uh, decreasing, no, it's an increasing radius. So it's sharper going in and increasing on the outside. Yeah. It was like a hundred and thirty degree with a weird kink in the middle, yeah. and there was one. There was one line that made it work and made it fast. And now, to this day, long away from that track, if we're on a canyon road, yeah, and one of us says, "Oh, that's an Ian corner," the other one knows exactly what that kind of aspect of that corner is going to be. It's fascinating, yeah. Yeah, and the instructor who taught us his name was Ian, so we we mm -hmm. uh, refer to it as that. So definitely, um, we've done a lot. We've provided uh, now the second film. At, I. You know, we'll refer to the film we dropped today, the Mustang GT Track School. But the yeah, yeah. the Ford and Fiesta ST Octane Academy, that was all about car control. And that really mm -hmm. does set mm -hmm. a baseline for understanding tire grip, whether it's on wet, whether it's on dry. Yeah. And yeah. really starting to feel that those differences and then gradually moving up because that has just... You know, you, you don't just start suddenly drifting and, and, you know, taking corners fast without building up to it. And so... I'm really just sticking with track time only. Um, and that's that's you my know, biggest that, thing. That that's interesting. That that ST Octane worked its way up to full track, but I almost mm -hmm. felt like the the crown jewel of that event was the autocross. The autocross is interesting because you're you're gonna you can go through the cones and who cares? You can spin your car or talk to somebody else sure. about a driving line, and and it's going to be different every time. There is a real learning thing there. I don't want to ignore canyons, but the problem with canyons is this. There's no margin for error. Right. I love canyon driving. Right. I'll be honest with you. I actually would rather go drive a canyon. Just We're talking sheer enjoyment right now. I'm not talking about get better, get faster. Just go enjoy. I'd rather drive a canyon than a track. I like the changing scenery. I like the fact that the road keeps changing personality. I yeah. like looking around and seeing stuff. That's fun. That's near religious for me, to be honest with you. But you have to know the road. And you can't run 10 tenths. You just can't because right. what about the porcupine in the road? What about the random person that's pulling a boat that's never been here ever and now they're suddenly in the middle of the road? You have to hold back a margin that you don't on the track and you don't in autocross. I highly recommend canyon runnings because you can learn, I feel like, consistent smooth weight shifts in a canyon. As you learn to know it, you can learn how to shift the weight of your car versus jerking your car around. That is a way you can get better. But it's much harder to drive all out on a canyon. That's not fair. It's much more dangerous to drive all out on a yeah. canyon because there's nothing you can do if everything goes wrong. The problem That's is the problem. canyon running is so very accessible. It's instantly accessible. Agreed. If we can find oh, yeah. a twisty road on the map, we can be there and we can go do it. But then you're right. You can't treat it as a track and treat it as such. Yeah. You have to back way off, and that's what we do. Well, <clears throat> look, as well. well, I mean, I, I will acknowledge – we're going much faster than most people on a canyon road. Well, I will acknowledge yeah. that. I don't, I don't want to give the impression that we're, you know, no, we always drive really, really cautiously on a canyon road. Most people would think that we're hooning. But the other side of the equation, though, is that intellectually I am always aware I need, I need to not go any faster than that right there. I need to back that off a little bit. We're, these are not conversations you have with yourself on a track or in an autocross. You just think, I need to go faster. I need to make that better. That's not the headspace for canyon runs, which are still fast, but you've just got to leave a margin for error or weird things or, you know, came around the corner with my son in the FRS, and there was a sheep, just one, <laughs> standing in the middle of the road. Um, yeah. just, 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 just one sheep. Uh, don't know where, where he came from. 
had to go around the sheep at high speed. My son had no idea it even happened. But this is what I'm saying to you. You're never going to come around a corner in autocross or on a track to find a sheep. There you go. Well, speaking of track sessions, Nathaniel, Nathaniel Kuhn, is asking us if we want a track session in his FRS at Audubon Country Club, Country Club <laughs> in August in at Chicago. our Chicago yeah. Track Day. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. That sounds sure, great. Sure, why not? Yeah. That sounds great. We would love to do that. I, I, I make it a general rule. If people are offering cars for the track, I try to say yes. That's really – that's, that's one of those rules to live by, I feel like. I should get a shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of elaboration needed. Just flat out yeah. yes. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll say yeah. yes. Let's do that. And uh, so speaking of Chicago Track Day, we hope to see you there too. So look at our everydaydriver.com adventures tab, and you will find more information about the Chicago Track Day there that Nate is referring to. So go look mm-hmm. at that and yeah, you'll August understand 22nd. It's, it's a Monday, but it's going to be great for, for drivers with experience or newbies. And we're also going to do Cars and Coffee in the parking lot. We'd love to see you there. We talk about this every time because it's coming up. We're getting excited. And we're going to keep talking about it until it happens because we want to see you there. You can sign up at a discount on our website. And, yes, we're also doing the Germany-Belgium trip. That pilgrimage trip, is, is it's happening. It's going on. So we'd like to have you with us. I'm putting it out there. I'm saying it again. <laughs> we should wrap this up because uh, I feel like four hours from now we could still be talking because it is us. Uh, please rate this podcast. Please uh, share our videos. If, if uh, you've seen them and you like them, please pass them on. We would love that. And, uh, yeah, again, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, those thousand rollovers, we're giving stuff away. So keep that in mind too. Fantastic questions on Facebook as well. Feel free to repost if we miss something, but these are great little snacky questions that uh, fun to chat about, and you guys are doing amazing stuff here. So keep it coming. Thank you for listening, for watching. Have a great weekend. Talk to you later.